Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Disney Movie Marathon. Today I've gotten together with my friends Rachel Wagner and Katie Fabric, and we're talking about the 2007 Amy Adams film Enchanted. A sequel to Enchanted was just recently released, and I really wanted to talk about it, but you know me, I love my miniseries, so even if it's just two episodes, before we talk about Disenchanted, let's talk about the original film, Enchanted. I don't think I quite realized how long it took to make this movie until I started looking up some information yesterday. Apparently, it was like 10 years in the making. Like, they started back in the 90s trying to get this movie made. It was originally completely different. It started out as a Touchstone Pictures, and it was like R-rated. So I'm, I'm glad that they decided to change that, because it was supposed to be more of like a more cynical take on this idea and i don't think it would have been quite as much of a feel-good movie and i like that they decided to change it into more of a loving homage to disney instead of like a vicious takedown or whatever they were thinking Mm -hmm. with the original script yeah when was that that they were thinking of doing it like way back in the 90s 97 was when disney bought the original script for touchstone interesting i didn't know that I don't know when it was originally written, but that's when Disney came on board with the idea. That's interesting. I had no idea that it was that long. Yeah. In development. But the writer that they eventually got is still the same writer, Bill Kelly. He wrote the original R-rated script and it was rewritten and rewritten. And then finally in 2005, they hired Kevin Lima as the director and then brought Kelly back to rewrite it with a much more Disney version. And that's what we eventually got. Interesting. Huh. And this was the first live action animation hybrid since Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But it's different from that in that the animation does not interact the same way. Like there's some scenes where animated characters talk to real world characters, but they don't physically interact like they did in Roger Rabbit. Mm. Yeah. One interesting thing that I like about this movie is that it changes aspect ratios. <laughs> like, I don't know how anyone else feels about this, but I think that's a cool idea. And not for not very many movies do this. But like when the movie starts, it's in like regular widescreen. And I wrote down the numbers, but it will probably mean nothing to anyone else because I don't really know what exactly the numbers mean. But 2.351 is what it starts out with. And then when she comes to the real world, it's 1.851, which is a much wider widescreen. And I think that's a cool idea. I know, especially on TVs, it's not the greatest looking because when it starts, you get black all the way around, Mm -hmm. but then it stretches out. So I don't know. I think it it looks cooler in theaters, but I still like the idea. Yeah, that's interesting. I did never notice that before. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing that you will notice in this movie, I wrote down a few that we'll go through as we go through the movie, but there are a ton of Disney references in here. There's one quote, and I don't know how true the quote is, but it's the guy said there are thousands of references in the movie. (laughs) I don't know that there are quite thousands, but there are a lot. And I know I won't have even written down half of them because there are just so many. They're just everywhere. Mm -hmm. The animation in the movie... It's not done by Disney. It's by James Baxter Animation, which I don't know if you guys know who James Baxter is, but he was a former Disney animator. And he's he's kind of responsible. Like if somebody 
these days needs like extremely fluid animation, like really nice looking, that's who they go to. Oh yeah. And that's who did the animation for this one. That did not for the second one, which we'll get to when we get to the second one, but for the first one, James Baxter animation is who did this one because this was during the time of no more traditional animation at Disney. They didn't have hardly anybody left. They were all moving to CGI, so they outsourced. Uh-huh. But I think this one, it's it's kind of fine because James Baxter was a former Disney animator anyway, so it's sort of like keeping it in the family. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, music by Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. Menken, of course, Disney legend. And they'd worked together on Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame. So even though Menken is the name that everybody knows, both he and Stephen Schwartz have done Disney stuff before. Yeah, I mean, they've worked together on Hunchback. Mm-hmm. How does she know that you love her? <laughs> <laughs> that song has been stuck in my head since I've seen the movie again. There have been several songs that have been getting stuck in my head since watching <laughs> la- these. Oh, that just brings on like a bout of nostalgia, that song. It, yeah, it kind of did for me too, because, I mean, I hadn't seen it in probably several years, but I had gotten the soundtrack at the time this came out. Mm-hmm. So I listened to the soundtrack a lot more than I had watched the movie. Yeah. So listening to the songs in the movie just was bringing all of that back. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that I had completely forgotten until I rewatched <laughs> Julie Andrews is the narrator. She doesn't say much. She's only at the beginning. But she narrated at least the first little bit of the movie. Oh, wow. She started talking. I was like, wait a minute. Is that Julie Andrews? I had completely forgotten that she was in this movie. Yeah. I suppose that's one of the Disney homages. But yeah, that was cool. I kind of wish that they'd had her back for the second one, too. And of course, it opens with a very blatant Disney homage with... It's basically like a mashup of Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, all the iconic fairy tale openings like zooming into the castle, the book opening, etc. Well, I mean, when you think about how big of a success the Shrek franchise was, it's no big surprise, even though it sounds like they had this in development even before then, but, Mm -hmm. but that they would come out with something like this their own sort of parody film and uh, it's kind of remarkable that it worked as well as it did because yes. uh, because disney as a brand in general has not been the, is not been the greatest at making fun of themselves and uh, and just yeah. comedies in general they're not really like known for their comedies mm-hmm. uh, and so i think the success of this uh, a lot of it, or even the creation of this, a lot of this has to do with, you have to give Shrek some credit for that. I would imagine that that probably spurred them on to actually put it more in development. They already had it sort of in the works, but like I said, they, they rewrote the thing many times. And it was, I guess you would say development hell, like 10 years is a long time. So I think they probably had it on the back burner. And then when Shrek was such a huge thing, they were they probably tried to fast track it a little bit quicker yeah and there's i mean it was definitely have to have been part of the the inspiration Mm -hmm. to to go with it so this movie is about giselle who is a cartoon disney princess in a cartoon disneyland the character is played by amy adams who 
at the time, I don't know how big of a star she was. I don't think she was quite as big as she is now. I'm trying to think if I had seen her in, had she done Superman yet? Like no. When, when was the first? No, that wasn't until like okay. 2012, I think. Okay. So I kind of feel like she was not quite an unknown. She had been in things before that. The, the, the thing that I knew her from was she was in what people call the worst episode of Smallville. Like I was obsessed <laughs> with Smallville. When it was on and she played in the very first season, she was a character who was a fat sucking vampire. (laughs) Like like she was an overweight character who got super thin and then to survive started sucking the fat out of everyone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I hadn't seen her in much, but uh, she was in one of, if not my least favorite movie of all time of Drop Dead Gorgeous, which I hate. Uh, It's one of the few movies I actually walked out of. And mm. not for me. Um, but she is also in Catch Me If You Can. Oh, the- that's right. I had I would have seen that at the, at this time too. Yeah. So I would have seen then, her in a movie also. And then she's also in uh Talagaya Nights, the uh, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. I love that movie. It's so stupid, but hilarious. <laughs> I've um, never seen that one. It's I mean, it, it's as I say, it's definitely not Hallmark approved. but it's so good i love it it's so funny um so that's probably where i would have seen her before she did get an oscar nomination for her role in june bug uh, which is a cute little indie she plays a pregnant woman in that movie um and she got nominated for an oscar for her first uh she's one of those she's kind of the um the julianne war you know of of, uh getting nominated 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 when's she gonna win Mm. But I think she should have gotten nominated for this, Enchanted. She's so good in it. She, she really makes she makes the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. that, yeah. uh, in any other hands, it just it wouldn't have worked. It needed her sincerity, and she sold that sincerity. Yeah, definitely. And then she would go on to be in Julie and Julia, in The Muppets, in, uh, in The Fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, movies. Yeah, she wasn't in... Um, Man of Steel, I think, yeah, that was 2012, which I, 2013, which I think they've used her terribly in those movies. She's, I mean, it's not I her agree. fault, but. I, 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 I love her. I love the character of Lois Lane. She deserves better. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I yeah, mean, I think that whole franchise deserves better, but don't tell the Snyder cultists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she's been in some really good movies. The Master, Arrival. Oh, I love Rival. Yeah, she's that. that. Yeah, she's she just has the perfect kind of mixture of sweetness mm-hmm. and uh, sincerity, and I love the fact that this is one of the only uh, Disney movies where a character or a Disney princess, no less, gets to do some actual like mothering, gets to like mm. help a you know a child, uh, and you you know we see that in the in the sequel continue, uh, but uh, but I like that about her character that she's not like a young ingenue like she's she's that's a little true bit more. I didn't even think about it that way but that is something that you don't really see with the Disney princess I mean they're usually like sixteen themselves so. <laughs> This is an older Disney princess. Yeah, definitely. When did it come out again? Oh, seven. I think, she, yeah, because like I was 10. Mm. So I I think she was mainly in not movies I watched around that time. 
So you probably did not see her as the fat sucking vampire in Smallville yeah, no. in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's funny though. I think I've actually seen part of that episode. And now that you've mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah. I was one of those weird people who actually liked that episode. I liked her character. <laughs> I thought she was nice and I felt bad for her. <laughs> so that's why she particularly has been kind of one of my favorite people. Because she was in that terrible episode of Smallville that for some reason I actually liked. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we can move on and talk about the next character, the prince in this movie is james marsden prince edward who has a jealous stepmother queen narissa played by susan sarandon and i'm not sure if giselle is purposely being hidden from him it sounded like maybe she was trying to keep giselle and him apart like i'm not sure if she thought they were destined or whatever well i think it was um that she didn't want him to meet any girl Okay. Well, yeah, that's true. Because she kept, she had her minion, Nathaniel, going off on wild ogre chases with him. Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys think about James Marsden? Uh, now, this may be nostalgia talking, but I think he might be one of the best Disney princes of all time. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty good. He's very funny. And he's, and he is, not to get to the next one, he's the best part of the of the next one, in my opinion, but he's great. I mean, he, he never gets the girl, although he gets a different girl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> James Marston, he always, he, he never gets the girl. Okay, so in this. I like how cheesy, but sincere he is. Mm -hmm. Like, even though at first glance, he is, he seems a bit fickle because like, he easily gives up Giselle and then easily picks up another girl. But he's so sincere about it that you don't really care. Like, you can tell that even though he let the one go for the other real easily, he still will be devoted to his, I don't want to call it a second choice, but like, he, you can tell that he and Nancy will be a good couple and they will be devoted to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though he is kind of like he's like i guess you he'd probably be what people these days would call a himbo <laughs> <laughs> like a handsome bimbo i think is what that means yeah i mean he's he's very confident you gotta give him that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah very funny and what about queen narissa susan sarandon what did you guys think about her yeah i thought that she did a good job you know it's 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 a, a pretty classic villain you know, and and, and uh, she had you know fun with the role. I thought I liked it. The opposite of Marmy. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I hadn't seen that Little Women in a like. I don't think I'd seen it before you and I did that podcast a while back, and I I had kind of forgotten where I had last seen Susan Sarandon. So I looked her up. I was like, Oh yeah, she's Marmy. This is way different than Marmy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she can do a variety of roles. That's for yeah. sure. I thought she was great. Then you also have Timothy Spall as Nathaniel, who is her lackey, the one trying to keep Edward from finding a girl and then trying to keep him from finding Giselle in particular later on. He was kind of annoying, but I think that's just what he's supposed to be because he's the minion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's sort of her beleaguered 
uh, assistant. Mm-hmm. Who is also in love with her. Right, yeah. And you also have Pip, the chipmunk, as a main character who talks in the cartoon world and can't talk in the real world. He was cute. Yeah, he was really cute. Well, it was so just refreshing to have uh, to have a 2D animated world yeah. in a Disney movie again. Yeah, we need more of those. I hope the rumors about them trying to do another one are true. We'll see. I'm not holding my breath, but I'm just hoping it's true. <laughs> I was I was kind of hoping we would get a little tease of that at D23, but we didn't. Mm. Well, apparently within this whole opening scene, there are cameos of famous animals. Apparently like Thumper and Flower are in this scene. I never saw them, but I didn't like go through it frame by frame looking. So I guess if people want to look, apparently they're there for you to find. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that. And you have the opening song of True Love's Kiss, I believe it was. It's them sort of singing a duet, but not seeing each other. Very Sleeping Beauty. This is where you see the troll. He's he's. I'm not sure what this troll's deal was, because he seemed to be in on this fun chase that he was doing. But then he switches and like he's going to eat Giselle. So I'm not sure what the deal with the troll was. <laughs> I don't know how evil he actually was or if like he was under the queen's influence or what. But I liked the scene with him chasing her and I loved the cartoon physics like with Pip and Giselle apparently being so heavy that the tree is being weighed down and as soon as they're <laughs> off the branch the troll is like launched into orbit. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was fun. <laughs> and then she falls out of the tree and he catches her and declares that they'll be married in the morning. And <laughs> they ride off into the sunset, which is like a perfect <laughs> recreation of the end of Snow White. When she's all for this, she's very excited mm-hmm. about it. Yes. Her true love. Because they're in a fairy tale land and this mm-hmm. is how things go. Yeah. Except the queen is furious about this. She can see what's going on because she can, she like has some sort of portal magic that she can look through water. And it's not just water. It's like any liquid because later on there's like soup and alcohol that she can spy through. I'm not (laughs) sure exactly how that works, but it's magic. So I'm not going to question it. Mm -hmm. So she knows what's going on and she transforms herself into an old hag like in Snow White and tricks Giselle and shoves her down a wishing well where she falls to the real world and ends up in a sewer in New York. And I loved that scene because it it reminded me of Alice in Wonderland with her falling through. And then she's like upside down, actually reminded me of the one we just talked about recently, where she's upside down having fallen through the earth. And then the camera spins around and you see that she's like sitting on the ground below the manhole. Mm -hmm. And then she climbs out into the streets of new york and this is where the the screen aspect changes so it's it's kind of hidden in the dark that the screen aspect is changing when it stretches out but i liked that touch i thought it was cool yeah and nathaniel asks the queen where she has been sent and she replies that she's now somewhere where there are no happily ever afters which is apparently new york <laughs> <laughs> and she's now lost in the city chaos around her because she has no idea what's going on and she tries to find shelter with a nice old man 
<laughs> and he steals her tiara and i loved she's like she doesn't understand the concept of anger yet so i think she's more upset and sad than anything and she yells you are not a very nice old man <laughs> that's one of my favorite quotes <laughs> And in the real world, you also meet Robert Phillip, played by Patrick Dempsey, who is a divorce lawyer. And you first meet him as he's trying to mediate between this woman who is bickering with her husband over a baseball card, which is a weird thing to fight about. But I guess that happens in real life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, they're obviously trying to show the ultimate contrast between the sweetness of Giselle and they were believing in happy endings and uh, mm -hmm. uh, true love and all that uh, with uh, Patrick Dempsey's character that, you know, he's a not he's like the total opposite with mm -hmm. uh, with his beliefs and that he's been hurt in the past. And he's this divorce attorney. And you have these 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 people in these bitter divorces that get down to fighting about a, a baseball card or and and you know they that is what, things can get very ugly uh mm. in um you know in, in when harry met sally when uh, when bill crystal says make sure to put your name in all of your books because otherwise you're gonna spend <laughs> you're gonna spend <laughs> hundreds of dollars fighting over the wagon wheel table um <laughs> and uh and so yeah i mean that it is a thing so had you guys seen Patrick Dempsey in anything else? I don't think I had before this movie. I know he was in Grey's Anatomy, and that's where everyone loved him from, but I'd never seen that. So I was not familiar with him when this movie came out. Oh, really? Yeah, I had watched, I, I was an early Grey's Anatomy watcher, but I stopped out about season three or four. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> they're on like 15 now. Yeah, no, 19. Oh, Season wow. 19. I thought I was jokingly <laughs> overestimating with 15. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and uh, you know, of course, he was McDreamy. I mean, he's not on the show anymore. But yeah, but uh, he was definitely, this was like peak McDreamy time. I remember the headlines all talking about that when this movie was coming out, but it didn't mean anything to me at the time because I didn't watch the show. But you also get another nice Disney Easter egg in this first scene with him in his assistant, Sam, who is played by Jody Benson, who is the voice of Ariel. Yeah, that was fun. She has a fish tank in her office and you hear a little <laughs> bit of the score in the scene with the fish tank, too. A little bit of like under the sea or something, I think. I don't remember the exact yeah. which song it was, but a little bit of that. Well, and she talked about it in her uh, in her. I just read her biography that she did, her memoir, or whatever. Mm. Uh, and uh, she talked about that you know that it was really hard for her because she never had been in a live action role. Oh, really? Uh, it was challenging. Yeah, that, I mean, she'd on Broadway, but not on screen. Well, I knew she had been on stage, but I yeah. I guess I just assumed she also had done on screen stuff too. No, no she had only done only done voice work. Hmm. It's a fun little read if you're a Disney fan. You should definitely read it. Yeah. But in this scene also, or after this scene, you're introduced to his daughter, Morgan, played by Rachel Covey, who I don't think she acts anymore. She did have a cameo in the sequel, but she doesn't, like after this, she didn't really do much. What did you guys think of this character, Morgan? I think she's very sweet, cute little girl. And and it's it's like I said, I think one of the nicest elements of this movie is that you get to see a Disney princess actually like be a mother. Mm -hmm. 
I thought she did a great job, especially for someone who didn't act a whole lot. Like a lot of times when there's a kid in a movie, I kind of have a tendency to find kids annoying. If they're not perfect, <laughs> then I can tell that they're acting and I don't usually care for the character. But I thought she did a great job and I was never once pulled out of the movie by anything that she did that didn't feel real. She felt like a real kid. Yeah, she was very, very cute. So they're taking a cab home and having a conversation about this book that he'd gotten her that she didn't really want, but he thinks it'll be good for her. It's about like famous women of history. And she's just looking out the window and she sees Giselle climbing up on a billboard for a casino because Giselle thinks that this castle illustration is a real castle. So she's like pounding on the door trying to get somebody to let her in. And Morgan decides to jump out of the cab and run to her. And of course, Robert chases her and they get there just in time for her to fall off. And he catches her and they take her home while she seems to be babbling nonsense about who she is and where she's from. And Morgan wants her to stay with them because obviously she's a princess. And Robert initially says no, but she ends up falling asleep on the couch anyway. And the next day she wakes up before everyone else sees that the apartment is a mess and you get one of the most catchiest songs. She calls all of the vermin of New York to help clean the apartment with a happy working song. And I love this song because it is like the perfect send up of like the old Disney princess films where you have like Snow White cleaning the dwarf's house with the animals. But then you also have it like incorporating lyrics about soap scum and toilets <laughs> <laughs> and i thought that that song is just so perfect it's so well written and catchy and the perfect modern send-up of that type of scene that you would get in an old disney princess film yeah it's really really cute song very catchy and uh, just classic alan menken mm -hmm. and i love that the animals that all appear are just the basic vermin of new york <laughs> and she just adapts she she doesn't care she loves them anyway even the cockroaches and flies yeah which i mean whew, that one uh, uh that you can tell she's from a magical land and not new york city <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think i could get by with the pigeons maybe a few rats but once the cockroaches come in i'd be out <laughs> <laughs> So Morgan wakes up at the very end of all this and sees what's happening and goes to get her dad. But by the time he gets out there, all he sees is all these vermin running around his apartment. And he freaks out and they try and evict all of the creatures. <laughs> and somehow Giselle has figured out what a shower is. I don't know how she figured that out, but maybe an animal accidentally showed her. And he finds her as two of the remaining pigeons drape her with a towel like in Cinderella when the little bluebirds dressed her. And I, this should be his first clue that something is up with her, but I don't think he quite gets it yet. I mean, I would certainly give more pause to two pigeons acting like they are trained <laughs> and flying to wrap around a towel around her. I mean, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's just everyday life. <laughs> And then, of course, like any good rom-com, we need a grave misunderstanding. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so this is the perfect moment for Nancy, Robert's soon-to-be fiancé, to show up and be horrified and furious at this strange woman in a towel in the apartment. 
oh no, I slipped at the right moment. <laughs> and the door just happens to be across from the hall. And Nancy is played by Idina Menzel. And at the time that this came out, I had no idea who she was. So it didn't even strike me one bit as weird that she didn't have a song. Apparently she was written a song, but it was cut for time. But when I first watched this movie, I didn't know who she was. So I didn't think anything of the fact that she didn't have a song. But then later on, I think probably once Frozen came out, I learned who she was. And then I started seeing people talking about her and talking about... So you hadn't heard of Wicked? You didn't know Wicked? I, I probably had heard of it, but I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. I have no way to see Wicked myself. So I knew the story, like I knew the basic gist of Wicked, but I didn't know who was in it. I didn't know who she was. So when people were talking about how terrible it was that they got Idina Menzel and wouldn't give her a song, I didn't know. And yeah. so it didn't strike me well, as odd I mean, at all. Because Wicked... Uh, was was in 2003 so it had been it already was like a total phenomenon uh by 2007 and uh, so it definitely was kind of shocking i mean and she had been in rent as well which was also extremely popular so it, it certainly in the fandoms that i uh that i'm in uh everybody you know loved her and knew her and uh, she, I mean, Alphaba was such a, like a huge character and Define Gravity was just like an epic song. So mm -hmm. it was kind of shocking, but I have to say in uh, the, in this new one, I think I finally realized why they didn't have her sing. Uh, and the reason it was just because her voice is so epic and so big that mm. it definitely would have overshone Amy Adams, who has a beautiful <laughs> voice, but it's much like smaller yeah. and sweeter uh and so to have this like big belting you know voice uh that i think it would have it would have it wouldn't have it would have been weird i i still think they should have had her do the credits song i don't understand why they had carrie underwood do it that didn't make any sense why not have that would have made more themselves? sense yeah definitely yeah. at least the credit song well i wonder what because from what i've read she did originally have a song but they cut it and i wonder what that would have been I don't know if yeah. they've ever said the thing I read didn't tell what it was that she had had to sing. Yeah. I suppose, Katie, you probably didn't have any thoughts about that because well, you were like 10 when yeah. this came out. So <laughs> you, you probably were in the same boat as me. I was just a little older in that I didn't know who she was. So yeah, it didn't, didn't I was at that odd. stage where it's like, wow, movie. <laughs> and I and I, I was like, this is the real people. And it's all real. <laughs> the concept of actors was not known to me yet. <laughs> These animated characters became real. Wow. <laughs> How did they do it? That's probably similar to me when A Bug's Life came out and I was so confused by the, the bloopers at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what was going on there. That's funny. But yes, grave misunderstanding. She storms out. Robert yells at Giselle, partly for disrupting his relationship, but also because somehow in all of this misunderstanding, she's somehow snuck off and made a dress out of his curtains in like the five minutes he took to talk to Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> she is an extremely yeah. good seamstress. <laughs> <laughs> so Giselle is 
now horrified that she has accidentally given Nancy the impression that she and Robert have kissed. So she tells him that he needs to sing to her to reassure her of his affections. And of course, he's not going to do this. So since Nancy is now gone, he realizes that they're late and he needs to get Morgan to school. So they take off. Then you go back to Edward, who is following Giselle through the portal, along with Pip, who has now become a real live CGI chipmunk. (laughs) And he can no longer speak. And Nerissa, the queen, is watching all this and sends Nathaniel because she's afraid that Edward is going to find Giselle, reunite, and then she will be dethroned. So when Nathaniel gets to New York, he finds Edward slaying a bus. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he gets to New York and decides that this thing is a creature and it has eaten a flock of people and he needs to kill it to rescue them. (laughs) Yeah, that was really funny. He climbs up on it and he stabs his sword through and there's this old woman inside with a bunch of birdseed and I think she's supposed to be a nod to the bird woman from Mary Poppins. And (laughs) then he destroys her bag of birdseed and then the bus driver... (laughs) I loved her. She chases them off. <laughs> you see her in a couple of scenes. I thought I I liked her as a minor cameo character. I kind of want a movie about this bus driver. She seemed like an interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be fun. She was sassy, funny. Mm-hmm. And somehow they managed to navigate their way through a restaurant enough that Edward somehow buys a meal. I don't know how, but Nathaniel sneaks back to the kitchen trying to find some way to contact the queen and he's now talking to her through a boiling pot of soup and she sends him some poisoned apples which he somehow manages to pluck out of the boiling soup with his bare hands (laughs) (laughs) if this were any other movie i would have serious problems with that but i don't care i just thought it was funny that this soup is bubbling and he just reaches in and grabs the apples But also the apples, now that I think about it, the apples later on melt through a guy's hair and he touches them with no problem. So (laughs) Nathaniel has superpowers is what I... Cartoon physics. (laughs) There's a lot of things that we just didn't question because this is ultimately a funny, ridiculous movie. Yeah. But Pip is watching this and he's trying to tell Edward what's going on. But of course, he can only squeak and tries to charades his way through the message. But he fails and Nathaniel ends up being able to silence him for most of the movie. Although I don't think Nathaniel would have needed to do much because, like I said, Edward is a little bit of a himbo and he cannot figure (laughs) out anything that Pip is trying to say. He thinks he's talking about how great he is. But Robert needs to get to work, so he just brings Giselle with him, and he tells Sam to get her back wherever she came from while he meets with his client, still the woman from the bickering baseball card couple. And obviously, Sam is unsuccessful at locating Andalasia. So while she's trying to explain to Robert that she has no way of actually getting her back, Giselle goes off to talk to this couple, and she's horrified to learn what divorce is because she's from a fairy tale land and the concept of true love not being forever is just completely foreign to her and she begins to cry which freaks out the couple and 
the opposing lawyer threatens to throw out their deal because they think that they're trying to trick them with her. I'm not sure what he thought was going on, but he thinks that he's got some shenanigans going on with her sobbing over the divorce. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is funny when she sees and she says, how could you not care for and how how can love be be ending? You know, just her immediate kind of mm-hmm. reaction is very endearing. Yeah. So he's trying to get rid of her somehow. And nearby, Edward and Nathaniel are still looking for her. Or rather, Edward is looking for her and Nathaniel is trying to distract him. And he ends up sending Edward off on a wild goose chase after a woman who just happens to look like her from a distance from behind. So he runs off in one direction while Nathaniel falls Giselle in the other. As Robert tries to ditch her, he gives her some money and just says he can't deal with her anymore. And she gives him an impassioned speech about how kind he was to her. And she's sorry for causing him so much trouble. And she leaves and he starts to leave, but he turns around and see, sees her giving all her money to the to the woman with, from, with the birdseed from the bus. <laughs> and so he goes after her. And she's asking the old woman if he's see, if she's seen her prince, and she says he was on the bus this morning. He tried to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of my favorite lines from this movie. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a funny one. I think Robert thinks that this lady is about as crazy as Giselle is, so he pulls her away. And he's asking her about her prince, and he finds out that they've been together one day, which is shocking to him, of course. So they're walking through the park. They run into Nathaniel, who offers her a caramel apple, which is obviously one of the poisoned apples. And this is another little Easter egg. If you look at the caramel that's dripping off of the apple, it's shaped like the poisoned apple from Snow White. It's kind of subtle, but if you look closely, it's like the exact same little skull shape that the green poison made as it dripped into the apple. Honey. So she doesn't eat this right away. They keep going. And Robert is trying to understand why she thinks it's okay to marry someone she just met. And he's trying to explain the concept of dating, getting to know someone before you get married. And she's gesturing wildly as they're having this conversation. She accidentally launches this apple which hits a passing cyclist and melts its way through his helmet and hair. Well, this is a, this is a really powerful apple. <laughs> and she asks him about Nancy, wonders why they haven't gotten married after five years together, which leads into probably the biggest musical number of the film, How Does She Know That You Love Her?, which turns into the entire park joining her for this song. I know there are a lot of Easter eggs for this scene, but... I did not write them all down. There's just so much going on that I probably didn't even notice a third of them. I think that there's even somebody from Mary Poppins in there. Like one of the original actors I read was in this scene somewhere. Like one of the chimney sweeps. And during this number, Edward hears her singing and he tries to follow her voice and (laughs) decides he's going to stop where he is and join the song, but he's immediately hit by a flock of cyclists. (laughs) (laughs) And during this whole scene, Giselle is arranging through a pair of doves to have flowers and tickets to a ball sent to Nancy on Robert's behalf. And she loves this, but Robert, he seems mildly uncomfortable with this idea. But it's very clear that this is something that Nancy loves, and she's kind of been waiting for some sort of 
grand romantic gesture from him, which is mm-hmm. not in his character. So this is the first glimpse that they're not a good pair. But he apologizes for the misunderstanding that morning, and she accepts, saying that if he says that nothing happened, she trusts him. Meanwhile, Nathaniel and Edward go back to hotel and discover a TV, which Edward thinks is a magic mirror. <laughs> and there's another interesting Easter egg in here in that they find a soap opera, and Paige O'Hara, the voice of Belle from Beauty and the Beast, is the main character of this soap opera. There's even a bit of the theme from Beauty and the Beast. And this, the plot, whatever's going on in this, reminds Nathaniel of his relationship with the Queen. There's a line, something like, how can I even love a man who doesn't love himself? (laughs) Which apparently strikes quick at his heart, and he wanders out by himself after locking Pip in the closet so he doesn't tell Edward anything. But, yeah, he goes off by himself because he's got to think about his relationship with Nerissa. But Pip escapes and follows, and Edward is left by himself. Well, Robert and Giselle end up in a pizza parlor, which I I don't know if it's shown right at that scene, but later on you see a sign for the Bella Note restaurant, which is the rest <laughs> the song in the scene from Lady and the Tramp. So this whole thing is another Easter egg. And this is where you find out where Morgan's mother went, because you find out that I think she left when Morgan was a baby, because he says he does not talk about it with Morgan at all. And since he earlier said that Nancy and that Nancy, he'd been with Nancy for five years, I believe that means that the mother left sometime in Morgan's first year. Yeah, that makes sense. Nathaniel shows up again, this time with an apple martini. And just as Giselle is about to try it, Pip flies in, knocks it out of her hands, causing the restaurant to erupt in chaos as the other patrons around assume that there's a wild rodent on the loose and nathaniel of course knows what's going on but he pretends that he's worried about a rat and when pip is on a pizza pan he launches it into a pizza oven so everyone thinks that he's dead but he's actually flown off the pan and he's now trapped in a glass vase carafe something on the bar that he can't get out of but nobody knows that he's there yet but of course Apparently, this was such a big commotion that the news showed up. Maybe it was a slow news day. (laughs) A rat in a restaurant. In New York. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But I kind of loved the the sensational way that this reporter was talking. It's kind of a on-the-nose parody of some certain news reports trying to make you afraid of everything, talking about, is this the start of a rat revolution or something like that? (laughs) are we all in danger but this reporter is actually another disney easter egg because she calls herself mary eileen casalotti which is a nod to all three early disney princesses because sleeping beauty is mary costa and then eileen woods as cinderella and snow white was adriana casalotti so her three names are all part names of the original Disney princesses. And Edward is watching this on TV, and they interviewed Giselle because apparently the preliminary investigation revealed no rodent remains, so she's happy that he has survived, though they don't know where he is yet. 
and Edward is excited to see her on TV. And then he's furious that Robert shows up to usher her away. He's begging <laughs> the mirror to tell him how to find her. And she says she's reporting from 116th and Broadway. And he kisses the TV and rushes off. <laughs> I, I love how melodramatic he is. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. So he rushes to that address, but can't find her. He searches a bunch of apartments. And I think there's some more Easter eggs in here. I'm not sure how many cameos there are. But I heard that one of the people was the singing voice for Pocahontas. I'm not sure who it is, but I'm assuming it was the mother in the one scene where the prince shows up and she says, you're too late. <laughs> oh, they had Judy Kuhn. I forgot that. I, I think that that was like, I don't know what she looks like, so I'm not 100% sure. But I know she was in that scene somewhere. And I think that that's about the only one she could have been. So back home, Robert continues to try to talk sense into Giselle, but he can't convince her that Edward is not coming. And this makes her actually angry. And I love this scene. It kind of reminds me of the scene in Tangled, like the perfect description of like warring or perfect depiction of warring emotions in a Disney princess. Like she's so angry, but like so happy that she's feeling angry. <laughs> she's like flipping back and forth. It was such a great scene. But during this, you can see that Giselle is starting to fall for him. And I think he's starting to fall for her a bit, too. And it's like she's almost barely kind of maybe sort of leaning in for a kiss. But he walks out and says goodnight. And then he wakes up the next morning to find out she's cut up another set of curtains or maybe a blanket. She's made another dress. And as they sit down to breakfast, Edward shows up and immediately tries to kill Robert. <laughs> He thinks that she, he's been holding her captive, and she yells that he to for him to stop and that they're friends. He's like, oh, and then just happily puts his sword <laughs> away. <laughs> but of course, she's now conflicted about her feelings for him and suggests that they go on a date. He tries to sing their True Love's Kiss song again, but she doesn't finish and wants to go and do some things before they go back to Andalasia. So they all say their goodbyes. They all promise they'll see each other again, but you can tell Robert is also just as conflicted as she is about her leaving. <laughs> and Edward says, thank you for taking care of my bride, peasants. <laughs> <laughs> he had so many great lines. <laughs> and then Nathaniel is at a bar, which I believe is still the same restaurant, because Nerissa is berating him from his martini. And she's screaming, calling him an idiot for wasting two of her poisoned apples. And so she's coming there herself while she's letting out an ear-splitting scream, which shatters all the glass around her, where Pip is stuck in one of those glass carafes, and he's now free. And then back at Robert's office, he's meeting with his client and her husband again, but they're having second thoughts now after Giselle's impassioned speech, inspiring them to see the best in each other again. They're going to give each other another chance. And then Edward and Giselle, they're on their date. He wants to get back to Andalusia, but she wants to keep doing things. She actually wants to go to the ball that she set Nancy and Robert up to go to. So he agrees as long as they head back as soon as it's over. And Giselle runs back to the apartment to get Morgan. I'm not sure why she wanted Morgan to help her, but it was cute that they had this not really mother-daughter date, but future mother-daughter date. And she says that she has something better than a fairy godmother. She'll get, she'll get her father's credit card, which is just for emergencies, but this is definitely an emergency. <laughs> and then you cue the obligatory shopping montage. 
And then they end their day with a conversation about the nature of stepmothers because Morgan does not like the idea of Nancy being her stepmother. But Giselle tries to tell her that it's not true that stepmothers are all evil. She knows many kind stepmothers. Why, Edward has a stepmother. And, well, I've never met her, but I hear she's just lovely. <laughs> Cut to Nerissa exploding out of the sewer, zapping cars all around her. <laughs> I, I love that transition. It's so perfect. So they all head off to the ball, which is fittingly a costume ball. So Giselle and Edward would fit right in. But for some reason, Giselle is now in like a modern dress. She's like the only one dressed in something modern. And Edward is still wearing the same clothes that he's been wearing since the beginning of the movie. So I hope he's discovered deodorant while he's in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe he has magic armpits and doesn't need it. Who knows? <laughs> so the four of them all get acquainted. And you can tell that Nancy right away takes a liking to Edward. Not necessarily that like she's instantly attracted to him, but she likes the way he's speaking about Giselle, and she appreciates that he appreciates her with no irony. And then the MC, or whoever he is, calls for everyone to dance and to take someone that they did not bring. And I think you can see where this is going. <laughs> Robert starts singing along to the song while they dance, and Giselle is feeling very conflicted. Nancy eventually cuts in, and Giselle and Edward prepare to leave. Like, they did not stay very long. They had half a dance. <laughs> not even with each other. <laughs> he says he's going to go get her wrap, and she turns around to see Nancy and Robert kissing, although you can tell that there really isn't anything between them anymore. And suddenly, the old hag is right beside her, and Giselle recognizes her instantly as the person who sent her to Earth. And she tells her that it was just an accident, and she's she's been watching. She knows that she's in love with Robert, and she has a way to make all the bad memories disappear. And she gives her a magic apple, and she takes a bite and collapses immediately. And the hag tries to haul her body out and turns back into the queen, but is stopped by Edward while Nancy and Robert run in, and Robert tells Nancy to call 911. And the queen is trying to pass it off like she just fainted. But Nathaniel shows up, confesses everything, and Edward tells her that she's going to be stripped of her crown, and all of Andalasia will know what she did. Nathaniel tells them that there's nothing that they can do because of the poisoned apple, but Robert suggests true love's kiss and makes way for Edward to kiss her. And of course, it's not working. And Edward tells Robert he needs to try, but of course, he protested. But Nancy tells him to just do it. It's okay. And he does, and she wakes up. The queen is enraged, and this is probably the biggest nod to a previous Disney film. He transforms into a massive dragon like Maleficent. And even though I loved this dragon design, it, it can't hold a candle to so Maleficent's dragon. Maleficent's dragon is like the perfect Disney or any dragon. Like, whoever designed Maleficent's dragon is like a dragon genius. I, I love the <laughs> Maleficent dragon. This one is great too, don't get me wrong, but I love the Maleficent dragon. I appreciate how much attitude this one had, like in its mm -hmm. movements. <laughs> she also she's she has like the same her downfall is the same as every villain, the monologue. <laughs> 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 she's like talking the entire time. And like she she could have dispatched with anyone just by stepping on them, but she decides that she's going to take him to the roof to throw him off. 
And she's like monologuing the entire way. The only thing I would say about the dragon sequence is that for a movie that had been pretty subversive up until then, the -hmm. last 20 minutes of the movie are fairly conventional. You know, it's like it's one of those movies that like is making fun of something or maybe or is 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 parodying something. Maybe that's a better Mm -hmm. word, parodying something up until the end when it decides to become that, which it is parodying. Uh, And uh, it's so that was that would be my only like critique of it is that it, it that lie that ending does kind of they could have mm-hmm. maybe done some things to make it a little bit funnier a little bit um a little bit keep that subversive uh, nature i think they tried with having the dragon take robert first and having giselle follow to try and slay the dragon because like she even lampshades it like talking about her going after him this is a little twist on our story wouldn't that make you the damsel in distress to robert So I think that that's where they were going with that. But I don't know that it's quite enough because even though, yes, that is a subversion on the regular Disney trope, it kind of has been done before. Like they've had the princess rescue the prince and other things. Not very often, of course. So, I mean, it's a little bit unconventional. And I think that's where they were going with it. But it still does feel like, yeah, we've seen this before. But they do change it up in how the dragon is defeated because neither one of them actually defeats the dragon it's actually pip the chipmunk calling back to that original scene at the beginning where his weight is enough to weigh down the ogre he climbs up on narissa giving just enough weight for for the top of the tower to give way and she falls to her fiery sparkly glittery death (laughs) yes so they couldn't have her in the uh in the uh sequel yeah, I was kind of hoping that they would bring her back somehow because I did like the character, but it's fine. I, I do like the villains we got in the sequel. Yeah. But yeah, there's a little bit more subversion here with Edward falling and Giselle catching him. But of course, they're on the ledge of a roof, so they both keep falling and are barely able to stop before the ed- another ledge on the roof. And then they kiss in the rain and we pan out of the book from the beginning and the pages start turning as a new swelling pop song plays revealing nancy inside (laughs) sitting sadly on the floor looking at giselle's lost shoe and edward comes in and puts it on her and they run off together and dive into the sewer which in any other case would be a a dreadful (laughs) ending (laughs) but this sewer of course is a portal to a magical fairy tale land and she gets her magical fairy tale wedding that you know she's always dreamed of and apparently they get great reception in Andalasia because she still has a cell phone, but she smashes it. So I don't know how much communication she's planning on doing with the real world. <laughs> and then she grabs him and do a deep dip kiss. The pages keep turning back to the real world. We see Giselle has started her own fashion company and is employing the vermin of New York as her little helpers. <laughs> And Nathaniel is now a best-selling author, and back in Andalasia, so is Pip. We don't actually see a wedding for Giselle and Robert, but it's basically implied because the book closes and Julie Andrews tells us that they lived happily ever after. The end. (laughs) Or do they? Yes. They don't quite get their happily ever after yet, because they're in the real world, and happily ever afters don't exist. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I really liked this movie at the time, and it I think it held up because I wasn't sure. Like sometimes I'll watch a movie and I'll really enjoy it, and then I'll come back to it later and it's like, eh, I don't know what I saw in that. But I watched this again 
yesterday. I loved it just as much. I thought it was so clever, so much fun with the songs and the homages to Disney. And all the, the parodies were like not in a biting, cynical way. It was like it really was basically a loving homage mm-hmm. to Disney. They did it. They handled it perfectly. Yeah, I think it's it's really funny and her performance is great. Songs are great. And I I think showing Giselle as a mother is a really nice uh, thing to have in the Disney um, princesses lineup. Mm-hmm. Well, any final thoughts before we move on to the next movie? Um, Edward's sleeves are the best character, so... <laughs> I can't wait for them to return in the sequel. He had enormous sleeves. Well, I think that'll be the end of this episode. Before we move on to the next one, do you guys want to let people know where they can find you if they want more from you? Rachel? Yeah, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, we also, I also have the Talking Disney Classics podcast uh, that I do with my friend Stanford, so check that out. Okay. And Katie? And I'm Katie Draws Things on Instagram and Twitter, forever how long that lasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I post art sometimes, so yeah, that's fun. Okay. Well, we will... See you soon to talk about Disenchanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Disney Movie Marathon. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.